God's Word. Good morning. Double. Am I on? Did I just die? Oh, there we go. Wow. Our AV team, they are on it today. Thank you. So if you uh, haven't been here for a few weeks, we started a new series a few weeks ago, uh, Studying the Holy Spirit. And over the past uh, year, year and a half, we've actually looked at um, all three persons of the Godhead um, over various series. And so I'm really excited to be able to share this morning. Can you actually bump me down a little bit? Thank you. So in 2009, Francis Chan, a minister in a church in Southern California, he wrote a book about the Holy Spirit called Forgotten... Backwards, awesome. Forgotten God, reversing our tragic neglect of the Holy Spirit. He wrote it because he saw a problem in Christian churches all over America that we have seriously neglected the Holy Spirit in our theology, in our daily practice, and in our language. And to be honest, I wholeheartedly agree with him. In many ways, the Holy Spirit has taken a back seat in what we teach or how we talk about God, in our expression of worship, and in our daily lives. In fact, if you just look through our hymnal, you'll see how many more songs we have about Christ or the Father, but we don't have many songs about the Holy Spirit. And so since we've been studying this, uh, my topic was kind of focused on discussing this idea about the Holy Spirit and um, in a lot of ways our, our lack of attention that we give the Holy Spirit. So my goal today is to help us understand how we got here and what we should do about it. And I have to say, I really have been so excited about sharing this particular message, Um, because I too have grown to see that I believe we have a major issue, that um, we in the churches of Christ, um, not just, you know, churches all over the world or America, but in the churches of Christ, and sometimes even in this congregation, we're not immune to this neglect of the Holy Spirit. Now, what I've said so far might have even put some of us on edge, and I understand that, but I want to ask everyone to to listen with an open mind and an an open heart, Uh, because it it starts off, I think, a little difficult. I want to start off with maybe one of the most difficult pieces, one of the reasons why I think uh, we have this tendency to neglect the Holy Spirit in our theology practice language, etc. And it starts by how we view the Bible and our biblical hermeneutic or our method of interpretation of the Bible and our doctrine has influenced our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Perhaps you've heard the joke before, in the churches of Christ we believe in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. And in many ways, I don't think this is too far of a stretch. Now, I'm not saying that we treat this book as divine, but we believe it to be divinely, the, the, the divinely inspired Word of God, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. 
as Paul says. And we're comfortable going to the Bible to know God, to understand his will, and to experience the revelation of God. And I think one of our strongest um, characteristics, if you will, as a, as a movement, is that we call ourselves people of the Bible. That's a strength. I'm, not, I'm in no way downplaying that. That's a strength. But far less often do we talk about the Holy Spirit's role in these matters, primarily the revelation of God. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit would come and do far greater things and would be a comforter, an advocate, and a counselor to believers. And I think sometimes we face this potential danger of becoming too comfortable being filled with the words of God from the Bible only at the expense of being filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible and the Spirit are not mutually exclusive. I'm not at all saying that. In fact, quite the opposite. They're, they're, they should be viewed together. As we read Scripture, we should be filled with the Holy Spirit. But if our practices and our theology and our language lack a strong presence of the Holy Spirit, then we must acknowledge at the very least that maybe we have a bit of a blind spot, that we're missing something. And sometimes, functionally, we've replaced the Holy Spirit, in some ways, with the Holy Bible. And this sort of makes sense because if we're honest, I think if we can be honest with ourselves, it's far more comfortable to engage with a book that we can interpret and to a degree control rather than engage with the Spirit of God who is mysterious, abstract, and beyond our control. Now again, don't, don't mishear me. I'm not saying that the Bible is not important. If you know me, you know that's not true. But if we think that we can understand the words of God in Scripture and how to follow them without the Holy Spirit guiding our process of reading and taking in these words, then we're sorely mistaken. And if we believe that we can have our lives transformed by the words of Scripture without the daily work of the Spirit in our lives, we're sorely mistaken. Jesus did not say, I'm sending you an inspired book. He said, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. Now, again, I'm not suggesting we downplay the importance of Scripture. As Paul says, all Scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, and training, or, uh, and training in righteousness. But notice that he says Scripture is God-breathed. Now, if you remember from Chris's first sermon in this series, he talked about the Holy Spirit, and if you'll recall the words he used, the words for spirit in Hebrew and Greek are rhema and pneuma. And this means breath, wind, or spirit. So, I'm not suggesting that the Bible's not important, but I am suggesting that we stop downplaying the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives because it is the Holy Spirit who produced and inspired the words in the, in, in the Bible. So let's use the two together. 
I think it is a really amazing thing that we try to live our lives as much as possible by um, the words that we have in Scripture. But I'm also saying that we need the Holy Spirit in order to do that well. And I think a lot of times when we see bad theology and bad practice in, the, in, in churches, it's because they read this without being filled with the Spirit. And they tried to understand and do it their way instead of God's way. So I want to acknowledge... Oh, sorry, I jumped ahead here. <clears throat> we'll get to that in a second. I want to acknowledge that there's no shortage of confusion and chaos associated with matters of the Holy Spirit. Um, it's hard to understand sometimes even who the Holy Spirit is or how the Spirit works. But as it said in our reading, we only know in part. Paul acknowledges and many of the New Testament writers acknowledge that we only have a glimpse of what is and what is to come. We only know and see in part. There's so much that we don't understand. And the church has struggled to understand our relationship with the Spirit, and this has led to some really bad practices and some based on bad theology. And perhaps one of the reasons as well that, we've, that we tend to neglect the Holy Spirit is because we have witnessed so many abuses of the Holy Spirit. And we're so careful to not do that that we kind of have maybe gone a little too far the other direction. What we see today from maybe some churches or some people who claim to be working through the Holy Spirit or by the Holy Spirit seems so far removed from what we read in Scripture and how the Spirit worked through people. So I have a little video maybe to represent some of the ways that we've witnessed that. And um, I'm trying not to place judgment here, but I think um, you will see that the way that some of these people you know, use or claim to be filled with the Holy Spirit may not be all that accurate. So let's see what we think. are being released right now. Angels are being dispatched right now. Hamanda ata ata rata teda baka sanda ata ambo osa kata rite eke banda ata rite didi asha da. Lupus, all the pain is gone. What? What's wrong with her? What? What's wrong with her? Lupus! I'm going to ask you the same five questions you can ask. Hold on. Okay. Holy Spirit, activate. Oh, no. Holy oh, Spirit, no. Oh, activate. No. Holy Spirit, activate. 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 Ooh. All right, let's go. 
And that last one's catchy, I know. <laughs> now again, I'm trying really hard not to place judgment because we don't know these people's hearts and I don't go to these churches. But I think we, can, we have seen, we all know that there are ways in which the Holy Spirit has been abused a little bit by the church. And we'll talk about that a little more in a second. Uh, and I also just want to say, um, you know, please, no one run up here and try to jump on the pony, podium. Um, I don't know how I would react to that. Um, but this is part of the issue, right, in understanding how the Holy Spirit works. Because we see things and people make claims, and sometimes we don't see things. We read about it in Scripture, and it's like, I don't see that happening. And so it's so hard to discern how the Holy Spirit is working. And I think there's, there can be two extremes that, that churches can go to in trying to understand that. A preacher once told me, you can't open the window without letting in a few flies. He was talking about this uh, understanding the Holy Spirit. You can't open up the window without letting in a few flies. In other words, when we open up the window to experience and understand the Spirit, inevitably, sometimes, some bad theology and bad practices try to fly in. And we, in the Churches of Christ especially, I think, have been a little afraid to open up those windows, and instead maybe we've put up a few boards, because we can't control those flies, and we certainly can't control the wind. But we need this fresh air. We need the Spirit. And so, instead of boarding up the windows, what I'd like to suggest is that we learn to install some screens. We learn to discern the Holy Spirit and how the Spirit is working in our lives and in this congregation. So I talked about these two extremes. Think about um, a spectrum, if you will. Two ways I think that the church has engaged with the Holy Spirit, or maybe not engaged, that um, is harmful and maybe not accurate to what Scripture says. So on one end, um, kind of like what we watched in the video, you can see what I'd like to call the chaotic charismatic. And on the other end, you have what I'd like to call the cessationist, or the ceasing of the work of the Spirit. Chaos on one side, and I think maybe quenching the Spirit on the other. Now, the video I shared highlighted one of those extremes that maybe we like to poke and prod at, but both, I think, are dangerous. So the chaotic charismatic believes the Holy Spirit is a power given by God for one to wield. The chaotic charismatic says something is real because I have experienced it. So the Holy Spirit eventually becomes this hyper-fixated power in one's life, affirming whatever we experience, and that, that it must be from God. And churches that fall into this category often abuse the Spirit because they choose to wield it for their own agenda rather than for God's will to be transformed by the Spirit. These churches miss what the Spirit is doing because they're too busy trying to wield it and control it for their own use. I kind of think about the church in Corinth when Paul writes to them. If you read, again, read chapters 12 through 14, and you can see, we'll read the whole letter, you can see a messed up, chaotic church that they do not have order. 
they have problems with their use of the Holy Spirit and, and their worship together. And on the other end, the cessationist believes that the Holy Spirit is not active today like we read in the Bible because the Holy Spirit's no, no, no longer needed. The cessationist says, something is real because I, something isn't real because I haven't experienced it. We don't see gifts of healing happening, so surely the Holy Spirit doesn't do that. We don't see people truly speaking in tongues or prophesying or whatever. That stuff doesn't happen anymore. And in these churches, the Holy Spirit basically becomes a watered down to merely the occasional answer to prayer, or even worse, is just completely neglected. And these churches miss the work of the Holy Spirit because they've trained themselves not to look for him. That same preacher told me, some churches are like circuses, and some churches are like morgues. And you can probably see the extremes here. And how neither of those descriptions represent the person or work of the Holy Spirit. Both of these extremes, I think, can find root in Scripture, especially in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. The, uh, as I mentioned, the, the church in Corinth was clearly a circus. Um, but on the other end of the spectrum, another idea has been picked up in church history, arguing that the gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased because, as it's said in our text today, completeness has come. That is, when the Bible was canonized, the Holy Spirit was no longer needed. This is based primarily upon that one verse in, in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 10, where people equate the perfect with the Bible. And thus, now that we have the Bible, we don't need the Holy Spirit, um, or the Holy Spirit no longer works through us as it did in the apostolic time. I don't really understand how someone finds that in 1 Corinthians, but this is an idea that has been prevalent in many churches and has been influential uh, to our movement. Because I think sometimes when we read what happened in Acts or in 1 Corinthians or Romans, it's easier to say, well, that was then and this is now. I don't see all that stuff happening, so clearly doesn't happen anymore. I don't want to spend any more time really on these extremes because they don't really help us in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. However, I do want to say two more things. If your experience of the Holy Spirit has been through chaotic, charismatic churches or examples, and that's turned you off to trying to understand the Holy Spirit, I would encourage you to not be afraid of the flies but learn to put up some screens and to practice some discernment so that you can better know and understand the person and the nature of the Holy Spirit. If your experience of the Holy Spirit has been primarily through cessationist churches, and this has convinced you that the Holy Spirit no longer works that way and all we need is the Bible, I would encourage you to take off the boards, open up the window, and learn to breathe in the wonder of the Holy Spirit. Because if we don't, we are missing out on one of the most beautiful things that Jesus promised to us and gave us. <clears throat> so what I'd like to do is talk a little bit about how I think we see the Holy Spirit working in Scripture 
and how the Holy Spirit works today. And I made this little chart, if you're a chart person. It's not exhaustive, it's not perfect, but I think it could be helpful. Because it begs the question, okay, so then how does the Holy Spirit work in our lives? Where can we see and experience um, the Holy Spirit to help us begin to foster a deeper relationship with Him? And at the risk of over-categorizing the Holy Spirit, I, I just want to look at three ways that I think we can see in Scripture that a believer experiences the Holy Spirit. And maybe this will be helpful to you. And the first thing I think we see, especially from the words of Jesus, is that the Holy Spirit is relational. Chris preached an entire sermon on this idea of not a what, but who. The Spirit of God is relational. It's not, he's not a mystical force or idea. He's the personhood of God who seeks to guide, comfort, and challenge us and intercede for us. This uh, Scripture talks about the Holy Spirit indwelling us. You can't get any closer. God is not distant. God is relational. And the primary way He relates to us is through the work of the Spirit and how He relates to us through Scripture as well. If you've had those moments where you read a Scripture and all of a sudden you're like, that's what I needed to hear. I was going through something. That's what I needed to hear. That's the work of the Spirit. They're not just words on the page. That's the work of the Spirit to convict or to encourage or whatever it is that we need. The other way is through fruit. The Holy Spirit transforms us by His power. When we are obedient to the Holy Spirit, we will change. We will be transformed. And other people will notice. It's the Spirit who gives us the power to act in ways that honor God and reflect God's character. Notice Paul calls it the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of Kyle. The Spirit produces fruit in us, and this is evidence of inner transformation. When people you know, see us in stressful or unfortunate situations, and we are showing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, when we are showing those things, and it's not a natural response, and I use that word from our more human nature, that's the work of the Spirit. That's fruit, evidence of the Spirit transforming us. We learn to be patient when we can't on our own. We learn to practice self-control beyond our own abilities because the Spirit is at work in us, changing us to reflect God's character. And then finally, we, we hear in Scripture, um, uh, Paul and others talk about these gifts of the Spirit. And um, to be clear, the, the cessation movement, I mean, there's a lot of different branches of that, but generally speaking, people of that ideology say it's just the gifts that have stopped. It's not like we don't have the Holy Spirit at all, but there's no more miraculous gifts. And again, I would just challenge you to search the Scriptures and Come back next week or email me this week and show me where we find that anywhere in Scripture, that any particular gifts were meant to cease or that the, the Holy Spirit doesn't work that way. Again, Paul says that that will happen 
when completeness comes, but I believe he's talking about the completeness of all things, the fullness of all things when Christ returns. Anyways, the Spirit empowers us to serve the body and the kingdom for the common good. The indwelling of the Spirit allows us to accomplish things that would be impossible on our own. We're given gifts not for our own pleasure, but to edify the body and to demonstrate what the kingdom of God looks like. They're not talents, they're not skills, they're gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's very likely that one or more of these areas need some attention in your life and in my life. The Spirit is seeking your attention so that you can be equipped, so that you can be transformed, so that you can be empowered. Yes, God is mysterious, and there's some things that we can't really wrap our head around. And yes, that can be particularly true of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is revealed to us. But we cannot use that as an excuse to neglect the Spirit. We can't keep saying that was then and this is now, or that happened in the Bible, but that could never happen in my life. Now, I've kind of showed my hand here a little bit, so hopefully you'll be gracious to me. Um, and I, like I said, this is exciting to me, so I'd love to um, chat with anyone about this because I think it's so important, and I'm still learning. But personally, I believe that the Spirit works in our lives every day both in the mundane and in the miraculous. I believe that all gifts exist today, that by the Spirit someone can physically heal someone else to speak in a language they don't know or interpret a language they don't know. I'm not saying we see that or witness that all the time, but I think that God can work in that way and that God does work in that way. That's Kyle's opinion, Kyle's belief. I don't witness or hear these things very often, but I believe that it can happen, and that it does. I believe that the Spirit is working in subtle ways, too, and this is where we can do a lot of work, because we can't just throw out the miraculous and realize that the Spirit isn't working in all of these small, subtle, mundane ways every day all around us, trying to get our attention, trying to draw near to us, to transform and guide us. I want to wrap up with uh, a brief story and an invitation just so you can have a specific example of what I'm talking about. Because again, you know, as when I grew up um, in the churches of Christ, you know, we didn't talk a lot about this. And so uh, a lot of this was very new to me, this, this idea that the Spirit works in our life every day. You know, again, we talked a lot about Scripture and that's good. I got a very good foundation from this congregation in that. But we really didn't talk a lot about the work of the Spirit. And so you might be sitting there thinking, well, okay, well, what does that even look like? How, will I, how would I know that the Spirit has worked in my life or is working? So I have permission to tell this story, and I'm not telling this to draw attention to the person who experienced it, but rather to demonstrate one example of how the Spirit works. So many of you know that Rebecca and I uh, struggled to have children on our own. Um, over four years ago, we experienced the loss of our first child 
due to an ectopic pregnancy, and that experience truly rocked us. Uh, We were really struggling, and uh, we were struggling with how to pray about that. We were struggling with how to relate with God after just such a significant loss and after years of trying. And our church does this annual prayer night, um, you know, in January. And again, you know, we'd struggled how to pray. And so, uh, so much so that uh, the next year, so we do the prayer night in January, and it happened in February, so a whole year later. The next year, Rebecca chose not to go to the prayer night because I think at the time, emotionally, it was just a lot. However, she went the following year, and she experienced something during her prayer time that she attributes to the Holy Spirit. She was praying that one day we would have a child, and she had this vision as she was praying, I think with her eyes closed, looking down, having a pregnant belly, and there's this pink glow around her. She never had that experience again, one time. But from that moment on, her perspective on our loss and the future hope that we have changed. It was as if the Holy Spirit knew in that moment that she needed comfort and she needed a small glimpse of what was to come. Praise God. And uh, as you probably know, because, well, I mean, she sleeps through church, which is great. Uh, But when she wakes up, we have a baby girl. And again, I believe that many of us have experiences like this all the time. Well, I like to call them Holy Spirit moments. But we often lack the awareness to see that the, what the Holy Spirit is doing and how he's at work in our lives and around us. Now, when we have these experiences, it would be really easy to say, that was just in your head. That was just in your head, Rebecca. It was just an imagination. Or, you know, God doesn't, he doesn't work like that anymore. But I believe he does. This is just one example. I'm not saying that Rebecca has frequent visions, although that would be really cool. But again, that's not how the Holy Spirit works. Sometimes it's just a one-time thing, and it never happens again. So today I'm inviting you to open up your awareness to the Holy Spirit. I know that this might be a little uncomfortable for some of us, or all of us, but that's okay, because we have work to do here. So when you need guidance, pray for the Holy Spirit to guide you, because he's promised to do that. When you need comfort, pray for the Spirit to comfort you, because he's promised to do that. When you're struggling with your character, pray for the Spirit to produce good fruit in your life. When you're looking for purpose, pray that the Holy Spirit would empower you for the common good, to serve the body and the kingdom. Pray, look, and expect for the Holy Spirit to show up. Let's continue in our worship together.